Mark, Mark chapter 12, we're going to start verse 28, and I'm going to give a little introduction, so we'll pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for being with us today, Lord. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, and Lord, I pray that you would just be with us as we open up your word. Lord, uh, you're a good God and a merciful Savior, and Lord, we thank you for your truth that you have for us, and Lord, I pray that you touch hearts, and Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. So uh, we're in Mark chapter 12. We're going to look at start at verse 28. But in the previous chapter, this is where Jesus had entered into Jerusalem, uh, you know, on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, whatever you want to call it. But they were waving palm branches. They were spreading their clothes. He's riding in and they're crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You know, an exciting time. Uh, but right around that, the uh, Jesus curses the fig tree that has no fruit. He casts the money changers out of the temple. And uh, when uh, the Bible says when the scribes and the chief Pharisees heard it, they sought uh, how they might destroy him for they feared him because all the people were was astonished at his doctrine. So they uh, him clearing out the money changers. They wanted not they not just to get rid of him. They wanted to destroy him. The Bible says. Uh, then you've got the parable of the vineyard that Jesus gave, uh, and he talked about that Lord of the vineyard removing the husbandmen, removing the ones that were working in the vineyard because they rejected his authority. And the chief priests and the scribes knew that he was talking about them uh, because they were rejecting Jesus. So then we've got after these things, you've got a round of questions that come. We see questions coming at Jesus. The first one, the Pharisees and the Herodians come together and they ask this of Jesus. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? And Jesus astonished them. See, they thought they had him trapped. They thought if he answered one way, they could seize on that. Or if he answered a different way, he'd be a traitor, uh, you know, or he'd be bowing down to Rome. But he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God, uh, God's. And they had no, uh, no comeback for that. I mean, he answered it perfectly. Uh, and then right after that, the Sadducees that didn't believe in the resurrection, they came. And that's the one where, uh, you know, one brother was married to a wife. The brother died. They didn't have any kids. She marries the next one. And then he dies and on and on. And in the end, they make a really ridiculous uh, a scenario that's never going to happen. Uh, but at the end, they said, whose wife shall she be? And they're trying to, uh, again, they're trying to trick him and say, oh, you believe in the resurrection. Look at this problem we're going to concoct in our heads. Uh, that on the other side, uh, you know, whose wife shall she be? And the, Jesus corrects the Sadducees. And he says, there uh, there is a resurrection. He can he affirms that, uh, you know, and he he tells them about uh, some things and uh, about the life to come. But then this third question is the passage I want us to look at right here. A third one comes at him with a question. Uh, and uh, so it's Mark 12, 28. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, uh, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the yeah. second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love 
him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any question. And Jesus answered and said, when he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David therefore himself calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. So again, we've got this third question that comes at Jesus. See uh, that, uh, remember, he silenced the Sadducees. He said there is a resurrection. So they were silenced in their false belief that there wasn't anything after this life. Uh, and Matthew says that a Pharisee in the, the parallel passage to this said that this Pharisee was also a scribe, asked a question, tempting Jesus. So again, he's trying to tempt, trying to almost trick Jesus, but he liked the answer that Jesus gave to the Sadducees. So he's, he's kind of conflicted, we see. And he asked Jesus, what's the first, which is the first commandment of all? The Jewish rabbis had counted up from uh, the books of Moses, counted up 613 commandments, and they split them into two parts. 365 things they said were prohibitions uh, and 248 commands. So 248 commands they got from the first few books of the Bible, and they split it even again. Some were more important, and some were less important. They did this. And then they argued amongst themselves, and over time, uh, they thought that, you know, this was important, and then that was important, uh, and they call it, you'll hear them say that there are weightier and lesser commands. You probably heard that in the Gospels. Uh, but uh, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and ants and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. So in those days, the Pharisees thought the weightier, the more important. See, this is a, if you ask this question, what would you say? What would you say is the most important of all the commandments of the Bible? That's what he's asking. What's the most important thing? The sad thing is the Pharisees, if you would have asked them the question, they would have said three things are the most important. All the rules on keeping the Sabbath, Right? That was one they said, uh, the things about tithing. That's what he just said. What one do you, Jesus said, and what they ate and didn't eat. And that's sad, isn't it? Literally, what you can and can't do on the Sabbath, what you can and can't eat, and, and tithing, they put more important than anything else. You know why they did that? Because they could say that they could keep those things, Right? He wanted them to, what did he say to them? He said that uh, law, judgment, mercy, uh, judgment, mercy, and faith, those are the weightier matters. Those are harder to do, right? Then, then uh, uh, you know, maybe eating a certain thing and not eating a certain thing, that, that's easier than, than showing mercy to someone who you don't want to show mercy to, right? And these other things. So he's asking, which is the first commandment of all? And he's asking, what's the greatest? What's the most important one? And see, again, this is a temptation. This is almost like a trap because if he picks one, then that means the other things aren't as important. 
right? That's what, it, that's what they're going to do. Whatever choice he makes, they can trap him. That's what they wanted to do to Jesus. They wanted to put him in these no-win situations. He'd be trapped, and one way or another, he would either alienate people, or he would say something that was illegal in their day, or something like that. They're always trying to trick Jesus, but it never worked. Amen. Why? Because he wasn't just because he's God and he knew. <clears throat> so here's his answer. Verse 29. The first of all the commandments is hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. He starts out, he quotes Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Then the Jews would have recited this every morning and every evening. This was important to them. They, in fact, would have wrote this down. They would have put it in kind of this little box and they would have carried it around with them. Uh, and they're saying, hey, this there is only one God. God, right? There's only one Lord, one. We serve a, a single God that's in a trinity, uh, three and one, and you need to love that one Lord with everything, your whole heart. That means all your affections, your whole soul, which is also like saying all of your spirit, and your spirit is really who you are as a person. Love the Lord with your whole spirit, your entire mind. That means your thoughts, your dreams, your aspirations. You need to love the Lord completely with that, with your mind and all your strength. That's your will, what you're actually doing, right? He says all of these things in one. And the scribe asked Jesus for one, and he gives him two, of course. The second one, Leviticus, Leviticus 19, 18, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. So first he says, I want you to be God-centered in everything, and it's one God, not a whole bunch. Your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And guess what? We don't really do that. Right? We're not, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't serve the Lord with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength if we're honest with ourselves. And the second was love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what? We don't do that either. And before you get mad at me, you go to the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? That's where, remember that certain lawyer? In fact, that certain lawyer gave these two commandments. It's almost backwards. He gives these two to Jesus uh, uh, when he's asking about inheriting eternal life. He says, well, what do you read? What do you think? You've, you've studied the law. What do you What do you say? And he basically said the two same things. Love the Lord with all your heart and, and all your soul and strength and everything in mind uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then you know what Jesus answered in Luke 1028, this do, right? This do, uh, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. He's saying, okay, do it, right? Do it. Follow these two completely, perfectly. And you know what he came back with? Well, who's my neighbor, right? Because he felt like he was serving the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. But when it says, love your neighbor as yourself, he was like, ooh. Who's my neighbor again, Jesus? Because if you make that really narrow, I can argue that I'm following it. And then what's Jesus respond with? The parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Who, who is your neighbor? The Good Samaritan is. Uh, so he wanted a narrow definition. But last time I preached that parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, I, I realized in that that it's an impossible standard. We can't even meet the standard of the Good Samaritan. And you're thinking, now, wait a second, Mike, I've helped people. Uh, you know, Irma was talking about helping somebody that's poor. But the Good Samaritan went far beyond that. Remember that the Samaritans were enemies of the Jews. It was another nation. It was another people. It wasn't their own people. They didn't like them. They were dogs. They were enemies. And he said, remember what the Good Samaritan said at the very end. He, he, he bandages him up. He, he, he does all these things. He takes him to the inn. He takes care of him that night. And in the morning, he tells the innkeeper, he gives him money. What's he say? Whatever you have to spend, 
when I come back, I'll repay it. That's a blank check, right? The, if we were to say this in the modern day, if, if Jesus was telling us this parable now to shock us, he would tell our enemy, and then he would say, your enemy is bad off uh, near the point of death, and what do you do? You take him to the hospital, and you tell the hospital... Whatever it takes, whatever test, whatever medication, whatever surgery, however long that this person spends in the hospital, you tally it all up and send me the bill at the end. We don't do that. We don't do that. For ourselves, we would do that, right? Whatever it takes, whatever the cost. We're not doing that for other people. But Jesus did. And I believe these two things should show us that Jesus is the only one that could fill, fulfill these things, if we're honest. Now, if we narrow the definitions, right? If we, if we make it smaller and say, well, our neighbor is only the people around me or only the people I like or only the people in this church, yeah, we might be able to fulfill that, uh, but, but not really. He's saying, hey, uh, uh, this is something uh, only Jesus could do. And I, I love Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And not just that, even in his earthly ministry, whenever he encountered somebody with a need, Jesus took care of it, didn't he? Even when he was tired, even when he was hungry, even when he was grieving John the Baptist, he still stopped. He either healed them or fed them or taught them or whatever. Why? Because he loved them. He was always giving of himself. So Jesus answers, and now the scribe is coming back in verse 32. Well, master, thou hast uh, said the truth, for there is one God, uh, there is none other but he, and to love him with all thy heart and with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He agreed with what Jesus said. He agreed with it. In fact, he even added something at the end. All of the, these two great commandments are more than any, all the burnt offerings and sacrifices put together. And you know what he was saying? In the argument of what's most important, he was saying it's not the ritual. He was saying it's, it's these. The scribe was agreeing. He was saying, hey, I can come in. I can sacrifice. I can follow those instructions. I can come in. I can sit in the church. I can praise. I can worship. I can sing at the right time. I can testify and everything else. But if you're not following those two things, if your heart is not God-centered, if it's not aimed toward God, and again, we can't perfectly fulfill these things, but what he's saying, it's not a substitute to come in here and worship if we're not doing following God's uh, a plan in his Bible everywhere else, right? He's saying it's more than all these things together because some people would put more emphasis on the sacrifice, right? That was one of the problems they had over and over again in the Bible, in the Old Testament. They, they would put more emphasis on sacrifice and there are times that God said, I don't want it. I don't want it till you get your heart right. I don't want your incense. I don't want all these things. And today's God sometimes saying, I don't want your prayer if you're going to keep going against me, right? Unless that prayer is confession. Amen? Anyway, we'll keep going. It's all right. So what's uh, Jesus hears his answer and says he answered uh, discreetly or wisely. And Jesus says back to him, thou art not far from the kingdom. He says, you're not our kingdom of God. You're not in the kingdom of God, 
but your heart is getting really close. That's what he's saying right here. You're really close. Why? Because you are a scribe and you believe uh, uh, that you're to love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself and you believe the resurrection. We know, we know that from the question before. He said, yes, oh, I agree. That's good that Jesus is setting the Sadducees straight, right, with, about the resurrection. So he believed in the resurrection. He believed that these were the greatest ones. He believed that they were more important than sacrifices and everything else. And Jesus has said, you're getting really close because most scribes wouldn't go as far as you did. But then the question is, what's left? What is keeping that scribe out of the kingdom of God? Who thinks he's dedicating his life to God? But Jesus just told him, you're not far, but you're not in. Remember that scribe tried to tempt him, but his heart was open and aren't you glad that after verse 34, Jesus just doesn't walk away and that's it, right? You're not far. See you later. No, what's he do? He says the next part. That's why, that's why I put these two together. Look what he says in, G, uh, uh, in verse 35. Well, verse 34, and no man after that durst ask him any question. Verse 35, and Jesus answered. I love how he answers questions that people aren't even asking. He said, well, he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. So while the scribes were arguing over the, the most important commandment, you know, one thing they weren't arguing over is they knew that the Messiah would be the son of David. They knew, uh, uh, they knew that through David's seed, the Messiah would come. And they get that from 2 Samuel chapter 7, that lo the Lord promised David through his house, through his throne, his seed, his kingdom would be established forever through his seed. So they knew uh, uh, by that promise and they believed it. So whenever you see the son of David in the Bible, that's another word for the Messiah. It's just one of his names. Uh, so when people are calling Jesus, Jesus in the New Testament, son of David, they're saying you are the Messiah we're waiting for. Okay, that's important. All right. So he is he is keying in on this. He's saying, hey, you agree that the Messiah will come through the line of David. Uh, and, and some believe that Jesus is Messiah. But then he says this. He quotes Jesus is quoting Psalm 110 verse one. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So David said that, and Jesus said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, David said that, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at, thy, my, at my right hand. Then in verse 37, David therefore himself calleth him Lord, and whence is he then his son? So here's what he's saying. You agree that the Messiah is going to come from the seed of David. And David is talking about his son. He is talking about it. And if David heard the Lord talking, right, that God is talking to David. That's what he's saying right here in Psalm 110, verse 1, because it says the Lord said, uh, and then he called uh, his promised son the Messiah, right, because he said, my Lord. So David is saying, the Lord is talking about my Lord coming out of my seed. Uh, and so David believed the Messiah would be God. That's what he's saying right here. So they believed, well, uh, make sure everyone gets this. They believed that the Messiah would come through the seed of David. And Jesus is saying David believed that it would come through his seed and would be God. 
And now he's asking them. That's what he's asking these religious people. He's saying, hey, if God the Father says that God, uh, the Messiah, the Son, will sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies a footstool, he's saying, hey, if David said that and believed that, what about you? That's what he's saying. That's what he's asking them this question. And he's saying, hey, scribes, because they believed that the Messiah would come, but he would just be a man. He would be born of the seed of David, but would just be a regular man. And remember what they said, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna means deliverer. Remember what they wanted. They wanted someone to deliver them from Rome. Just that but God, Jesus is trying to correct them all at once right now. And he says, hey, if David believed that the Messiah is God, what do you say? What do you think about that? Was David wrong? Because you don't believe, right? Is the scripture lying? So now the ones that tried to trap Jesus, he's turning it on them and he's saying, hey, you know the scriptures. David said the Messiah, the son of David, my Lord is going to be God. You know what he's asking them? It is true. You know it's true. It's inspired by the Holy Ghost, what David said. He didn't lie. He wasn't mistaken. And what's he saying? This scribe was close to the kingdom of God. He's not far. And what Jesus is saying is you want to get into the kingdom of God, whether you're that scribe or anyone else, who is Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? That's what it comes down to. And you know what they could have done? They could have went to the temple records really easily. And they knew who Jesus' mother were. They thought they knew who his father was, but they could go through the records and see he's in the line of David, right? He's in the line of David, just like uh, scripture promised he would be. He fulfilled that. And when he had just made his triumphant entry, Palm Sunday, remember they cut out the palm branches. They said, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest, right? So the people, the common people were excited because it's those same common people that were saying, you're the son of David, deliver us, Jesus. And Jesus is putting it together for the scribes and for the common people. I am the son of David, but I'm also the Lord, right? That's what he's saying right here. He's telling them, he's saying, hey, you can't have it both ways. Either David's correct and I'm Lord, or you're going to say David's wrong and you're not going to say that. He trapped them with this. But why he did that is he wanted to push that scribe and everyone else from the uh, close to the kingdom to in the kingdom. That's what he wanted. And here's the question for all of us. Was Jesus just a good teacher? A good role model? Maybe a good interpreter of scripture? Like the scribe believed? But Jesus said to that scribe, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. But you aren't in yet. What's it take? See, in that day, remember, Jesus was a man. They knew his mother. They thought they knew Joseph, who wasn't his father, but they they had seen him. He's real. They heard him speak. They watched him do different things. Uh, But they just couldn't call Jesus uh, the Messiah. They couldn't say that he was God. They couldn't say Hosanna. Uh, uh, Why could they not do that? Uh, Because it was hard to believe that this Jesus who they could see and hear and, and watch grow up and know his family, it was hard for them to accept that he was God. You know why? 
because it would have taken faith for them to believe that he was God. There's nothing they could see with their eyes that would prove it. So anyone who says, I wish I would have been there during this time, it would have been easier to come to Jesus. No, it wouldn't have. It's just as hard as it is now. Well, how hard is it? You've got to believe in something you can't see, you can't touch, you can't, uh, you know, physically. It has to be faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How do we come to Jesus Christ today? We believe that he is God, right? And we believe that he died for our sins. Uh, uh, we were guilty in sin. He was innocent. He died on the cross. We never, we weren't there. We couldn't see it. We didn't watch him die. We didn't hear what he said on the cross. Uh, they buried him in a tomb. Uh, we didn't watch that. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. Yeah, you can go back, but then people, uh, you can go to Israel and see that today, but people argue, is that even the right tomb still, or did they pick a different one. Why? Because you can't do it with your eyes. It takes faith. You're going to believe that Jesus is God. Trust in what he says he did and trust in his promises if you're going to come to Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Remember what Jesus asked Peter in Matthew 16, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answered, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter put it together, right? You're the Messiah and you're God, right? That he put it together. And Jesus said, your belief is correct. And guess what? The entire church is going to be built on top of that. That's what he told him that day, that Jesus was man, but he was also God. And that this God man uh, would one day sit on the right hand of the throne of God, and then the, which has already happened. But then one day he will make all enemies his footstool, right? They will be under him. They'll be out of here. And we can stop and say, praise God for that. There is coming a day. Jesus will come back. He will sit on David's throne here on earth, but also he will get rid of every enemy, praise God. And because we have trusted in Jesus as our Savior will be here too. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful to think about? But for Peter to believe that, it would have taken faith. For the scribe to go from not far to in the kingdom, it would have taken faith. And for everyone that was there, it would have taken faith too. We believe he's the son of David. We believe he's the Messiah that's sent. But we want him to be a military general. God said, no, I'm the deliverer. Amen. So today, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Righteousness, you know where it comes from? Not from following the tithing and the diet and the everything else that they came came up with and the Sabbath keeping righteousness comes from the heart from faith with trusting in God because he puts when we ask him to forgive us of our sins the great part about justification he takes our sins away and puts it on Jesus account who's already paid for it and then he takes the righteousness of Jesus and puts it on our account even though we weren't perfectly righteous that's amazing isn't it but then the question is who is Jesus to you because you could come in here, and I'm not Jesus, but I'm just telling you what Jesus said. You could come in here and you could hear the truth. The Holy Spirit could touch your heart. And you are faced with the same questions that Jesus would face them with. And you have to make a decision. Who is Jesus for you? Who is Jesus? 
Is he, is he a, a, a good role model, a good man? Is he God? Well, you're getting closer. But all the way is trusting to be your Lord and Savior. And if you're already saved, praise God, we got to go back to what he said. What are the two greatest commandments? What do we need to be focusing on? There's one Lord. We're good with that one. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. We struggle with that. And love your neighbor as yourself. We struggle with that. That will never attain perfection in those areas, but that's not an excuse to not push ourselves and say, you know what? I want to dedicate more of my mind, my strength, right? My heart to the Lord. And get even closer to him and get in the center of his will. So no matter what, I think Jesus has something for everybody here. If you're lost, come to him before it's too late. If you're saved, how do you measure up to his two tests right here? The greatest commandments. How do you measure up? And if you find yourself falling short, that's okay. If you take it to him and say, Lord, help me right here. And he will every time. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. I'm glad. Jesus didn't just leave him and say, you're close, right? You're close to the kingdom of God. You're close to heaven, but you're not there. He turns right around and says, I'll ask a question now. Who am I to you? If I'm the son of David, and David said that Messiah is the Lord, the Lord said to my Lord, King David called him my Lord. How did King David find righteousness? Through doing good things? No, he trusted in a Lord that was to come. That would save him too. And that's the same thing with you and I. I'm going to open up the altar as we get a song this morning.